Hello, everyone. Welcome to Film Music Media's Midsummer Music Matinee. My name is Kai Savas. I'm the founder of Film Music Media, and we have another amazing panel of guests here uh, tonight, or this afternoon, actually. So um, uh, let's jump in and, and, and meet our guests. Uh, first up, we have film and TV composer that recently worked on Disney Plus's Let's Be Tigers. Please welcome Tangeline Bolton. Hey, Tangeline. Thanks, Kai. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Next, we have uh, a composer who previously worked on Smallville, Vampire Diaries, and the recent short, The Lady Edison. Please welcome Greg Nicolette. Hey, Greg. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Next, we have uh, a film and TV and video game composer who recently worked on the comedy Domino Battle of the Bones. Please welcome Sean Chasen. How's it going, guys? Hey. And last but not least, we have the composer and co-founder of Voodoo Tracks Latin Music Library. Please welcome Elias Serpa. Hi, hey. Kaya. Thank you for hey, Elias. <laughs> So let's, uh, I want to jump in, this will be for everyone, we'll go down the line and I'll, you know, we can all add our, our insight. I, I want to start off with kind of the central question of this panel, uh, which is, is composing story driven or does the story drive the score? So as in, does uh, what you see on screen dictate the musical approach or is the function more to kind of, you know, go in there and, and, and the role to take us inside a character and tell us what is not seen, which of course I'm sure will depend on each project and might have, you know, feet in both camp but I'm just curious what approach you prefer and how you kind of see the role I guess the role of music in driving a story or the story driving the music so let's start with uh, uh, Tangelina why don't you kick us off yeah um, I, I love both approaches I think it totally depends on the project and you know if you can do some really fun stuff to get into the character's mind and kind of influence the viewer that can be a lot of fun um, but I think it's totally situational and you, you have to make sure that you're doing justice to the story overall. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Elias, how about you? What, what, is, what is your take on it? Um, you know, um, I think as much as it can be a situation to situation, I think it also depends on the personal style. I think, you know, certain types of movie ask for more of like a mood score than something that's, you know, driven by the actual things that we're seeing in the screen. So, uh, I think it's in, in my work, at least it's a 50, 50 split. Sometimes it's just, you know, carrying on the tone or setting up some, you know, some general mood. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sean, how about yourself? Yeah, I think really the, the power of what we do is that it can be both. And it's it's finding that, that interplay and that balance between, you know, holding back and letting a story unfold and just, you know, being present for it. And then also telling something that was not told already. And I, th I think that the fact that we can do both and choose is really the, the kind of the power of what we do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Greg, how about yourself? Yeah, basically agree with everything that's been said so far. Um, I would add that since I've been doing a lot of um, kids animation these past five years, it definitely changes a bit of the way that I approach things just because one of the things that the executives and the writers are really um, keen on is making sure the kids understand certain story beats. So certainly in those cases, the music is, is probably even tighter to story, you know, like sort of announcing jokes, announcing pop yeah. points in a way that we don't necessarily do with, you know, uh, a movie like Dune or something like that, where it's more about the world building and just the mood, as as Elias was saying. Absolutely, but I I also try to come at it because I'm not a I'm not actually a composer. I come at it completely differently. You know, I work and I work in animation as well. But you know, whether whether I was through film school or am I writing something, like music drives everything that I do from the script phase onwards. And I know that you also have to deal with temp tracks, which is a whole different discussion of like structuring scenes. So it is a weird circle where music can drive 
a story even before it even reaches the composer and then then you then take kind of take the wheel and be like all right let's take this car and drive it even further i think it's an interesting uh combination of both just like it kind of everyone mentioned but i want to um kind of go back around the room with everybody and kind of pitch this idea so if you you receive a script for a project what do you usually start working on and how does the narrative and characters inspire your sound palette for the project so i guess essentially where does that first note come from i like to ask composers that question like what is kind of that point that you start at to kind of pull that first idea out um how about greg how about you start off start yeah, us sure. off on this one sure sure um so it does like, like we've been saying and i'm sure we'll say this a lot it does depend on the project but yeah, something that I like to do a lot lately is really find a concept for the score, something that's not really musical at all, but something mm -hmm. that I can easily sort of talk about to the director, um, who may or may not like talking about music directly, right? And also something right. that might give me some ideas, jumping off points that I might not otherwise uh, have thought of on my own without that concept. And so a good example was a short that I just did called The Lady Edison, which was a period piece set in the 19th century about a female inventor. Margaret Knight, who's a real person, and she built these big, beautiful industrial machines. And so I was thinking, well, um, I want it to sound sort of period, but I also want it to sound mechanical and driven. Um, I want it to reflect sort of the machines that she makes, but also her drive. And I also wanted sort of a modern element to it because she's, you know, she's an inventor. She's on the cutting edge. So all of those ideas sort of ended up translating into the score itself, which had um, a bit of a period flavor because it was all sort of built around a, a cello, basically, played by Ro Ro Rowan, by the way, who's fantastic. And, uh, and, and, and even though it was sort of, you know, on, technically on an older instrument, the music I was having them play was, was very repetitive. It had a lot of drive to it, added some distortion on the parts in certain areas of it. So it had a bit of a modern vibe with, mixed with that older uh, period-specific flavor and it, you know, it worked out great. I think it um, definitely brought me into areas creatively that I, like I said, I wouldn't necessarily have gone if I didn't, you know, think about it from that, that extra musical place. Absolutely. No, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, Sean, how about yourself? What is kind of your starting point and you're kind of to get to get, get the ball rolling? <laughs> yeah. So I think the, the first impression is such a powerful kind of thing and the fact is you only get one and the longer you're working on a project the right. more the intention of the story or the intention of the score becomes about what you're choosing to make it so I think it's it's so important the first time you see a rough cut or the first time you read a script is just to get something out some kind of music whether or not you show the director or anything just to get that first impression down of what your sense of what it's about really and I think from there you can you can change that all day long but that that first sense i think is really important to just get out as soon as possible do you would you say that you kind of react to it as a you try to watch it kind of from an audience point of view yeah, or do you yeah. kind of, or do you think of it as a storyteller like you are the filmmaker do you put yourself in the audience seat first the first time i like to just be an audience member just okay. let, yeah. it, let it happen and see yeah absolutely uh tangeline how about yourself what is your what is your approach i love reading scripts and yeah. It's fun because you can kind of get a sense of the character's personality really well. And I, I love to start writing themes um, as I'm reading the script and getting a sense of the character's personality, as well as like the space that I'm in. What's my environment looking like? Am I outside? Am I inside? Uh, is the building large? Is it a house? And how can I craft my characters around the spaces that I'm in? as well absolutely do you ever like uh 
when you read a script for the first time and then you see maybe the first footage or the first uh, shots that you go like, oh, that's not what I was thinking like at all. Is it ever like, do you were like, oh, I got it wrong. I got to like readjust. <laughs> a little bit. And I think that's why it's important to make sure you have um, that dialogue going with either a director or showrunner. Um, so you can get extra insight as you're reading the script. Because, yeah. you know, sometimes characters might be bringing something different uh, to their performances, which might not have been reflected in the script. Uh, so I think that's a really fun part is getting the dialogue going beforehand and then taking a look at dailies, getting extra inspired then. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Elias, how about yourself? What is your what is your approach and your starting point? Um, I, th I think you mentioned something really important, which is the fact that how much some of these projects change from page to screen. And, and yeah, that's yeah. something that's, you know, if, if you're starting early on and you're just reading the script, um, I like to like scribble things like, you know, in, in certain areas or scenes of th thoughts or music that I'm imagining while I'm reading it. It kind of, I don't know, I, I'm kind of picturing the people saying the lines and I'm just like writing stuff down. Um, yeah, sometimes yeah. I, I go back to those and I'm like, oh, well, it seems like every time these two guys are in this situation, this is the kind of music I'm hearing. Um, but, but yeah, you know, sometimes when you see what's shot then you're like, oh, this is way, you know, grittier or was way lighter than I anticipated this. And then you're like, oh, maybe I got to take it up a notch in, you know, trying, trying to, you know, complement the tone of the film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't so, know about you guys, but something about the look of the film, the colors, the, even the color, the, uh, color correction, like if the whole film has sort of a blue yeah. cast to it might change the sounds that I hear. Does anybody else relate to that? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think color palette is such a driving yeah. uh, aspect. I was just, uh, I was doing liner notes for an album. I can't say what it is yet, but we we're talking with the director and just how the color palettes move the music and, you know, from warm to cool and an instrumentation and all that. It's such a, you know, it's so tied together. And, and there's a, there's a thing where like some people actually hear in colors, right? What's, I don't remember the term of that, but. <laughs> Anesthesia, I think, right? That's it. Yeah. Like I think Pharrell Williams like says he has that and, and some, some other people. So I think that's always an interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to jump to uh, Tangeline. So Tangeline, the beginning and end of a scene is important for moving the story forward. Uh, were the decisions you made on Let's Be Tigers influenced uh, by discussions with the director about the script or any other aspects of pre-production or production? Yes, uh, I had a lot of early discussions with my director, Stephanie, and she did a great job of describing kind of the tone, overall tones of the film. Uh, I feel like using a lot of adjectives to describe scenes is so helpful for me. And I always try to advise um, creatives that I work with who aren't involved in music to talk um, with adjectives, not music. Yeah. And yeah. And she would say stuff like, you know, fuzzy, warm, wood tones, uh, toys, how, how do toys communicate with music? And uh, we actually got to take um, a look at our production designer's um, lookbook beforehand. So that gave, that gave me so much insight into how things were gonna look. It was like a lot of pink tones, warm tones, fuzziness playfulness. And yeah, that really informed my uh, creative decisions with um, composing early on and getting my uh, sonic palette going with like piano, cello, warm tones. Yeah. And I, and I always find it fat because I think it's fascinating that 
you all are essentially translating. You're, I mean, you're speaking a different language that the, the director may, may or not speak and they're describing what they need for the scene. And, but I'm curious, like for you, I mean, you had to learn the language first. So when was like that first time where you're like, I need, I need fuzzy music. And you're like, fuzzy music, what the heck is fuzzy music? Like, did you, did it take a while before you kind of had like a built up palette of being able to understand those words and be like, oh yeah, I know what fuzzy is. I know what uh, cool is or crisp or all these, do you kind of know off the top of your head exactly what kind of instruments pop into your head when those words come up? <laughs> I know what you mean because some of these words are so like so nuanced that was actually yeah. another word that she said was nuanced so that was I love, I love that word I think the the difficult thing but also the fun thing is realizing that a lot of words can actually have like one global meaning like fuzzy yeah, yeah it can mean fuzzy but it does mean warm and cozy so right. I interpret yeah, yeah. it more as like what's like the global effect we want from a bunch of these really specific words absolutely no yeah for sure <laughs> uh greg i want to jump over uh to you uh, can you talk about the difference between composing scores that work directly with the scene versus scores that are more about setting a film's overall tone like maybe something more atmospheric or dissonant like versus a little bit more stitched closer to the edit yeah um although it's interesting i kind of see it as the opposite where the scores that are more atmospheric are further from the edit but but I'll, I'll, I guess I'll talk about why. Um, I definitely, and I'm not sure if everybody else feels this way, but when you, when people talk about composing to the story, I kind of think that we're, um, we're, we're sort of looking at the scene beat by beat. We're tracing the dramatic arc. We're considering each character's motivations. And, you know, we're, so we're very much in the details, right? And, um, and that can be very important and, and very helpful in certain kinds of projects. Um, but what I think the power is in, and sort of pulling back and thinking about tone and mood is that the score can be kind of become its own independent entity. And I think that's something that I've learned a lot from studying scores from people like Hans Zimmer and Philip Glass, whose, whose music I kind of see as kind of floating above the film and kind of, hmm. kind of in its own space, almost like it's um, like draped over the film and sort of in, in a sort of like it, it's providing a mood, it's providing a sure, yeah. providing a sense of place or Tangeline was talking about the size of a building. It's 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 telling me things about the world around me. Um, and so in a way, it almost becomes world building in and of itself. Um, I, I find that really interesting. And it's something that I um, if I see an opportunity for it, I try to take it just because, um, again, the, 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 the kind of music that you write in that mind space is just so different. Absolutely. Do you think that like scores like that, they they maybe stand out, also maybe stand out stronger on, as a listening experience away from the, from the movie as well? Do they make it better like soundtrack experience or something like that? I guess it depends. Um, a lot of those scores that I'm sort of thinking of tend to be a little more minimalistic. Um, mm -hmm. And so even though they're, they're beautiful and they have a lot of um, depth to them sonically, I, um, I don't know... Yeah, it's a hard question to answer because somebody like John yeah. Williams is he's very he's both very much in the in the details, but also manages to write music that stands alone on its on its own. And and I don't know how, you know, it's he's he's who he yeah, is. It's, I, I, I like that you brought John Williams into yeah. it because it's like, yeah, to, when you listen to John Williams, it's like, OK, that's it. It can't be anything else but Star Wars. It can't be anything else right. besides Indiana Jones. Right. Where so it's he's like, got both. Somehow he does. Exactly. But once, so. then you can yeah. hear like Marion's theme. And that's just like the most beautiful like character right. thing, you know, <laughs> it's just right. like wonderful um Sean I, I want to talk to you so what are 
what are some differences that you have noticed when working on a film or working on a video game? Anyone else with game experience also feel free to jump in as well. Like, what are the differences? I've talked to a lot of composers and working on both camps. I'm curious what your perspective is. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, right off the bat, one of the big fundamental differences is that in a film, obviously the moments will happen at the same time for every viewer. At this minute, at this frame, the door opens and that will play out the same way for every single viewer. You know, so your, your music can be, can exist as this static linear thing that that is in that place. And, and a game is, as much as some games are fairly linear stories though, the, the actual experience itself of the gameplay never unfolds that way. And it's always a non-linear kind of experience. And so the problem becomes finding ways to support player action, even though players might take drastically different amounts of time to do things, or they might do things out of order. Um, yeah, so it's just kind of that, that problem solving part of uh, video game music that makes it so interesting, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And also like, do you even, when you hand over music to a game, because it kind of, you give it to the developers and they, sort of kind of designing like the you know what what triggers you know the more exciting music or maybe the you know battle music whatever do, yeah when you when you first see your music kind of being incorporated is it kind of like a new thing to you like oh that's how it's working like or do you uh, kind of know hopefully, how it's hopefully be? not yeah hopefully <laughs> no? it's, a, it's a discussion going in is how how this ought right. to be implemented and then it's designed with that in mind and so then usually i like to either be able to play a build of the game and screen cap or get screen cap from people and then get things like average play times for areas from qa where you can say oh, like yeah. this forest will take an average of seven minutes to walk through and so then if if your asset list is saying like that forest is not that important we just need like a 30 second ambient loop and then QA is like well we spend 40 minutes in there then a 30 second loop is going to be terrible you know <laughs> and so it, it's kind of a, a little bit of an optimization problem of, of finding out not just what initially is placed and works but kind of tinkering over time and making sure that like that low health loop got really annoying you know maybe we have to right. have that fade out over time even though you haven't gotten health just because there's not health in this area or, or stuff like that just kind of the constant tinkering and the constant changing uh, to make something you know feel organic yeah, as a gamer, I appreciate that because you know if I'm stuck in a place and uh, that loop that loop <laughs> hits that thirty second mark and it's just like, yeah, oh, yeah. God, <laughs> start digging into your brain. But no, that's yeah. There's so much new. Yeah, going at the word nuance. There's so much nuance in gaming and stuff where you have to. I mean, I think it's such an interesting, uh, interesting uh, approach for sure. Um, Hi, can so, I add? Uh, yeah, jump that? in. Yeah. Um, uh, the game that I'm working on or wrapping up um, is called Potionomics, and it's uh, it was an interesting situation because the direct the game developer really loves really loves strong themes, right? But they were also really really excited about dynamic music, and I just wanted to sort of point out that there's sometimes a, a conflict between those two ideas. If you have music that's constantly changing uh, with player interaction, then having a melody that is you know through composed can be a little harder because changing it dynamically would then interrupt that melody constantly, yeah. right? And so that's also something you have to think about is what kind of music am I writing for this particular moment? Can it be dynamic? Does it have, or does it have to play out in a certain length of time? Um, anyway, so I thought that was an interesting sort of conundrum to sort through when we had to yeah. kind of talk through I'm it. Sure, and I'm sure the type of game too, whether it's a first person shooter, open world or strategy, I'm sure that all dictates what kind of mm -hmm. music is needed and mm -hmm. how it's going to be incorporated and how the player experiences it. I mean, there's so much that changes it to not just the genre, but just the type of game as well. <laughs> yeah. 
for sure. Um, so uh, uh, Elias, I want to jump over to you. Uh, can you talk about working on a feature film version uh, of the short film Free Birth? Uh, how will the the work you did for the short film expand in the feature film, and what was the score's function in this project? That, that's a very interesting project I did for for the Halloween shorts. You know the you know, yes. the, the little short run that Hulu does. Um, so, you know, it's, it's challenging, you know, and Greg can chime in and all of you guys, since you've been working in shorts as well, it, you know, it, you have a very limited span of time to kind of get to the point and, you know, to in, in this case, I think it usually to drive the story in this particular project. Um, I was tasked with creating some very tense music for, you know, the contractions this lady was having and that was like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, that, that needed to signal something. And I think that's something that I'm looking forward to exploring in, in the feature film, since there are going to be, you know, way more situations and more characters to deal with. This was more of like setting up the mood and then going to the conclusion. And I think um, I think the, the palette of sounds probably going to stay the same and some of the main ideas, but I'm, I'm excited to explore all the other, you know, plots and, and subtext to the, to, the, to the whole feature. That's amazing. That's such an incredible, that's such a unique thing to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, so I want to jump around the, the room again. And uh, so I'm curious as a composer, how you keep uh, the audience engaged? How do you keep them as you move between scenes, as the, as the narrative progresses? How do you make sure you're not losing them? How do you make sure that they're, you know, they're still pulled into the characters, caring about the characters? Is, is it just about you know, making sure that you know the the motifs and themes come in at the right places to like you know trigger kind of an emotional response i'm curious what you think about how do you keep kind of audience retention in a sense you know especially i think working with a short is also interesting too because you know that's a shorter time period to keep people engaged versus a feature also gaming as well so i'm just curious what everybody's perspective is so tangeline why don't you uh, kick us off with that sure um well i think in in like a feature TV setting, in addition to having strong motifs for, for characters. On the contrary to that, having a varied sonic palette too. So making sure you're adding interest when we're in like a new location or reoccurring locations, um, that those have a very distinct sonic palette and as well as, you know, their, their specific themes. Um, and also having maybe certain instruments for like interesting sync points. We don't have to always have a motif. Um, you can yeah. also use a certain instrument to like evoke an important part of the plot uh, in addition to strong motifs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Greg, how about yourself? What is your kind of take on keeping audience engaged in the story? Um, I, get, I guess I'll talk about games for a second too just because sure. my, my head is in this game space right now which is yeah yeah that's all i'm doing um and one of the things that i was thinking a lot about and, and sean maybe you'll agree is 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 and you were talking about it earlier about the 30 second loop in that forest does it is it too short is it too long um it's just not annoying the player right again with that strong theme sort of idea that we're going with melodies are are, aw are awesome and they're and they're what can kind of um brand something and, and make a project memorable but if you hear the same melody over and over and over and over again for 18 minutes because you know it, it's just that one track i mean that can be it can get pretty annoying faster than than an ambient track would which you know your brain isn't latching onto it um as directly so so it's almost sometimes you want to in a way you in in games you kind of want to you want, want the audience to forget about the music for a while just because um, you want to have another moment be bigger or more important. And so you need the music to kind of fade into the, into the background. 
Um, with film or TV, um, I don't know. I mean, I think my biggest guide is probably the director. I mean, I can try as much as I can to put myself in the shoes sure. of the audience, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm too far in it. You know, I mean, I used to try to, to while composing really sort of like listen closely and see if I was being taken out of it. But then I would write very, just very ambient music, just very simple, um, in, inoffensive music, I like to call it, right? Like it, yeah. it, 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 it will not bother anybody, but it may, it may not also be the most inspiring choice for a scene. So lately I've kind of just been saying, ah, just go for it, do what you think sounds cool. Yeah. And as long as the director's into it and you know all the other powers that be, then kind of just sort of hope that the audience will go along with the ride. Just one quick story, when I was just starting out, I, I, did, have a, I did have an opportunity to sit through a test screening of a short that I did. Uh -huh. And um, it, it was called The Small Assassin. It's based on a Ray Bradbury short story, and it's about a baby that kills its parents. So we're already in some sort of cheesy territory potentially here. Right. Um, there was a moment that I was asked to add a cue, very sinister sounding cue, and the baby was staring at the parents. And I was like a little bit like, I don't know, I think this is a bit much. Sure enough, when that cue played in the audience, the entire audience burst out laughing, which was not the... <laughs> was not the desired result of that cue. And uh, I don't know, it's not a good feeling so if you sometimes test screenings can be a big help yeah no absolutely yeah. no that, <laughs> thanks for sharing that because sure know, well you know. <laughs> absolutely yeah. uh sean how about yourself what is your take on on all of this and keeping the audience engaged throughout the whole narrative yeah i mean it's it's a tough thing and uh, in general you know i think we might all agree that it's easier to get in than it is to get out um yeah we're kind of when, once you're in you can kind of keep going all day long but then like how do you, and you can get in on a, a cut, you can get in on a word you can get in on a, a something, but then to get out can sometimes be a nightmare where you're like, I need to end, I need to be out by here, but then where is it on this word? And then it's too abrupt. And then you don't want to just tail out over like 20 seconds or something. And so I think yeah. that um, just viewing what has worked in the past for other things can be such a powerful motivator where you, where you watch, you know, we we're talking about John Williams, you watch John Powell, Hans Zimmer, and seeing how they how they do these things and how it just becomes this natural thing where the music becomes so married to picture that you hear it and you say, of course it is, of course it couldn't be any other way. You know, the, the big example that I feel like I always come back to is The Matrix and like oh, Don yeah. Davis's score where you hear a second of that music and you watch it with the picture and it's just like the most perfect thing that could have existed for that movie, you know? And uh, you, we were talking about, you know, inoffensive music and music that you notice. And I don't know that I, you know, notice when music comes in, in that movie. And with, with people who are writing at this level, they, they seem to have a way of, of just kind of existing naturally that I think we're all chasing. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I did the liners for the new Verez uh, uh, thing for for the Matrix, the complete edition, and I interviewed Don for that. And just take, hearing his whole experience with that, I mean, he's the one who came up with that kind of modern minimalism. Like the Wachowskis didn't really yeah. have a kind of a, a take on what the music should be, and he's like, "No, let's try this." And I don't think it's been replicated since then. Like, no one has been able to even the new Matrix. Like, not working. Like, I don't know. That's just my opinion. But like, I mean, Don's on a whole different level. I mean, it was brilliant for sure um elias uh why don't you take us yeah. on, on your your whole take on uh, this yeah. i 
I mean, you, you made a question earlier that was uh, very interesting about, you know, the ins and outs and when, when you know, and I'm continuing with Sean's comments about getting out of the scene. Like, I think looking at the pacing of, of the entire piece helps, oh, yeah. helps me a yeah. lot. Um, there's, of course, there is, you know, parts of, of a movie where, you know, there's a lot of information being told and, you know, those moments tend to grab the people's attention, you know, they're like trying to follow the plot, what is this character like, you know, and then there's other areas in where it's, it's about sitting with the situation or, or what happened after they fought or whatnot. And I, I think those are the moments where the, where the music can very pretty much bridge those gaps and, and help with the pacing and, and make it feel fluid. Um, and that's, that's been my, my experience is, you know, of course there are scenes that need music, but sometimes there are scenes that it could very much work without. And when I'm starting out with a new project, I, I usually ask the first cut that I get to be without any temp. So I can kind of, you know, take, take an idea and see like, well, I think at this point they lost me, you know, and that's like, I was yeah. already, you know, checking my phone or whatever. Right. And it's like, you know, this, this is somewhere that's crucial. And then, oh, my dog wants to say hi. <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> Come on, pal. All right, let's come jump on in and say it's a cameo. We need a cameo. Oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> All right, so I, I think that's what's crucial. I, I think paying attention to the pacing of the movie could inform very much where the music should come in and come out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Are you do you, do you ever get like a pushback from filmmakers when they say I don't want to see, hear the temp? Or they usually they're like, oh yeah, absolutely. Here's a temp-free cut. <laughs> or they uh, do they want you to listen to the temps so that they you can you know. I, I haven't had. I haven't had, uh, uh, you know, somebody say like, I'm not going to send it without temp. They, 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 <laughs> okay. they, they usually do. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, th then they're very, you know, I, I think one of my first projects was like a silent film and they had absolutely no temp whatsoever. And it's like, well, we want music wall to wall. It's like, what, <laughs> you know, like you got to give me something to hold on, you know, right. but, 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 you know, it turned out really great. I, I feel that when you watch something without music, it, it really, it you know if it works tightly without music then your job is so much more about enhancing the story if it's yeah, not working yeah. without and then, then you then it you're you're the plumber there you're just like oh i gotta fix this and this needs to go there. you know you turn into that person that's true i think composers can have to be the the fixer the closer sometimes where it's like oh this is not working but you can you can make a scene to work with music it's i've seen it done it's like oh yeah this is amazing but then you go back and you're like oh wait was that really that good no, it's like <laughs> I, um, I mean, so, I'm, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going back to, to John Williams, you know, if you know, if you watched um, the scene where Ray goes up, you know, meets Luke Skywalker, you know, this, you, have you seen that one without any score? You're like, that that's, doesn't work without oh, any right. score. You know, it's oh, yeah. like, so, it, yeah. it does, you know, this world, the island, the little, and like, it's so magical with, with what John did there. You know, it's, and it's yeah. just a must. Absolutely. So uh, I want to go around the room again and, and just want to ask everyone, is there a favorite scene or maybe a character? You know, we're talking about uh, driving stories and, you know, I think if, if there's a sequence or a certain character from a, a project that you did that kind of is your favorite, that kind of was really creatively rewarding and kind of stuck with you um, musically and what you kind of did with that. So I'm just curious if there's anything that kind of comes to mind. Uh, Tangeline, is there anything from a character standpoint or a scene that uh, from your project that really just kind of like was a, a blast to do and stands out. Yeah, on a most recent project, but I can't talk about it yet. Yeah. But I guess what I can say is just overall it's it's super rewarding to feel 
that you've like completely done the character justice, especially if you can, you know, start reading early in the script. Yeah. And I guess whatever emotion it is uh, to feel like you're doing the character justice. And to essentially like, I guess, I mean, you end up painting a musical portrait of the character, right? So, I mean, you really have yeah. to like find their emotion, find their motive, find their weaknesses and just flesh it out. I'm sure that's challenging, but also super rewarding ones. Yeah, once you crack it. <laughs> um, uh, Greg, how about yourself? Is there uh, something, a standout moment from one of your recent projects that really kind of uh, hammers, in, hammers in story driving? Yeah, well, it's not totally recent, but I did a short a while back called Neighbors. Yeah. Um, and one of the characters, she's an agoraphobe, and so she's afraid to leave her apartment. And she has a bit of a childlike um, vibe to herself throughout the film because she's, since she's alone all the time, she's sort of in her own world and kind of, you know, having to entertain herself. And, you know, there's just nobody around. And, and I was writing, um, I wrote a theme for her um, apart from the movie. And then when I placed it on the scene, um, just sort of magically, she, she, she was humming in the scene. And I didn't plan it this way, but the theme worked perfectly with the humming that she was doing from the production sound. And it Ooh. probably impacted me subconsciously, but, but it kind of just came together in this beautiful, unexpected way. And um, it's a little moment that I don't think anybody will notice, but for me, it was sort of like, wow, this is, this is a beautiful, like, accidental synesthesia of that's amazing. All yeah, these that's elements amazing. coming together. So, yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, Elias, how about yourself? Anything standing out? Um, I, I worked, um, I think, uh, I think it was November when it aired. There was this PBS documentary that I worked on that uh, featured, you know, very, very warm story about, you know, this LGBTQ Lat Latinos that, you know, f founded their own party out of necessity. And when they came to me with this documentary, it, it, it you know, there's so much heart in the story, but it's about, a party in a club. So it was like a very interesting, uh, you know, merger of things that I needed to sound loud and needed to be loud and party like, but then, you know, there was all this other drama behind it and, and all, you know, and, and a beautiful community, most of all. And I think that was, that was a very fun project to work uh, at. And it was, you know, very challenging because of the, the breadth of the, the kind of music they needed, yeah. but, but it, but it was a ton of fun. I think it's airing on, on KSET and PBS online. Anybody wants to catch Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, Sean, how about yourself? Was there any, some, something that pops out for you? Yeah. Yeah. So on, uh, on Domino, uh, which is a comedy starring uh, Snoop Dogg and David Arquette, and it's about like a domino tournament in Compton, but some of it is played up like it's like a 99, 1990s inspirational sports movie. And uh, <laughs> there's this part where there's like a, a robbery attempt at the domino tournament. And so all the characters think, um, the tournament's going to get shut down and everyone's like, maybe we should just go home. And then David Arquette's character stands up and is like, no, no, we can't give up and gives this like big rousing speech. And like, I saw the cut and I was like, I want to score this like a Jerry Goldsmith, you know, sports movie rousing speech. And they were kind of like, fine, let's do it kind of thing. And so, yeah, we got to just, you know, huge sound. And uh, you mentioned Row Rowan earlier. They, they were all over that score. And uh, yeah, it's just a super fun moment once in a while when, you know, you, you get allowed to, to write music, you know. I'm glad we both have trouble saying, saying their name. It's, I gotta practice that row rowing. Phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, they're great. They're so great. I'll check that, I'll have to check that out. Absolutely. So uh, you, you're all just, I mean, grinding and working away and then 
turning out such amazing work. Um, but, uh, composers in the industry, you know, I think especially anybody in the industry, whether you're working in music or whether you're working, you know, cinematography or set design, you're, I feel like burnout, creative burnout is such a real thing. So I'm curious how you all balance work and life and, and being able to try to tackle projects and, you know, keep climbing, keep trying to put yourself out there, but also doing work, making sure you have enough time to do work that you feel that you've dedicated enough time to, but also also have time for family and friends. So I'm just curious, how do you manage creative burnout? How do you manage keeping it all together? How do you keep sane and all this craziness? So is there any any secrets that you've figured out so far? If not, if so, please share it with everyone. So uh, Tangeline, how about yourself? How do you manage everything? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think it's important to like determine what kind of burnout it is. Yeah. Like if it's if it's burnout after like a whole year of doing a bunch of projects at once, I feel like that's a different type of burnout than oh I'm burnt out because I need to deliver something tomorrow. Oh yeah, yeah. So if it's like one of those long streak burnouts, I need to like do nothing for <laughs> as long as possible. Like if I have a break, I just tell myself, okay, like do nothing, watch some reality TV. <laughs> and I need to like recenter so I can yeah. fully absorb what I'd been doing for that time or like what planet I was on yeah. for that long period of time. But if it's something where I have a scene to deliver or a bunch of cues that deliver the next day and I'm working on a specific scene and I'm burnt out and I can't think of something creatively, Sometimes switching to a different instrument physically helps me. So if I'm playing like piano or, and like not MIDI, not just switching to a different MIDI instrument, so maybe switching from piano uh, to guitar or something else. And I notice that everyone has a bunch of awesome instruments behind them. Yeah, so, you all have amazing instruments behind you. <laughs> so I think that that helps a lot because you kind of open your brain to a new set of uh, challenges that you need to kind of get through and it's helpful. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Greg, how about yourself? How do you deal with creative burnout? Yeah, I totally agree with Tangeline about, well, just about the different types of creative burnout. Um, one type I guess that I'll talk about is having worked on um, uh, a few series now and sort of getting to the third season, the like 60th episode or whatever. And, and that's a certain kind of burnout as well, because yeah. you've, you've, um, everything's established, the themes are established, there's no more sort of, you know, tension with the director, like, are we going to get it right? Are we not? Right? Everything's kind of just humming along. And and that, in a way, can kind of be um, a, 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 like a, almost a creative death, right? If you let that, yeah, yeah. that sort of, that sort of, not um, what's the word, routine kind of get the better of you and you just go on autopilot. So trying sure, to inject yeah. something fresh into your music, even if it's just you know, well, I'm going to mix this one a little differently, or I'm going to I'm going to throw in a, a, a an unexpected turn here that that I I have a feeling might get get rejected, but I still think it could be worth the risk, and it'll give me something interesting to do for the day. Is important. It's important to sort of find ways to take risks when you're in that space of um, of just so much repetition. Um, and then as for sort of the other burnout that I deal with, I would say it's demo fatigue, and uh, which is just all. I, I don't know how, how if you guys experience this, but just the like like you get to a certain point in your career and you're getting a lot of auditions through your manager or your agent and and it was always a problem that I knew I wanted to have but boy it's 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 definitely hard to to deal with like like just because you know all of us who do this are going to get rejected the majority of the time right so how we manage that rejection has to become sort of a part of our um 
our daily practices, you know, and I can't say I've really uh, figured out the best way through that, except for to just <laughs> be really proud of what I do and kind of let right. it go. And um, but I'd love to hear anybody else's take on that if they have some suggestions for me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I, I have a I have a suggestion. Sorry to cut cut Great. you off, Kyle. No, oh, yeah, go, go ahead. Um, go ahead. <laughs> it's probably not one you want to hear, but it's something I try to tell myself. Like, oh, I'm going through this moment. I'm not feeling great. Like, I don't like how I'm feeling, but I know that's going to help me creatively at some point. It's like those lows. We have a lot of those highs and lows, but those lows are, they're really important mm. because they, they fuel us creatively, whether we know it or not, we're drawing from that experience at a future point. So I just mm. tell myself that. I like that. Yeah, Thank you. That's yeah. a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's jump over to Sean. Sean, how about yourself? How are you dealing with creative fatigue and, and all of that? Yeah, so I think that I live, uh, and I think it's probably common with a lot of us, I live in a constant state of either being stressed out that I have too much work or stressed out that I don't have enough work. <laughs> there you um, go. <laughs> and I, I think that that's just a thing that maybe we all just wrestle with. Uh, I was having coffee with a, a much bigger composer and was talking about this and he's like dude you just need to learn how to chill like if, if you have like two weeks where you have no projects and you spend the entire two weeks panicking that you have no projects and you're you're not resting and then inevitably the phone rings and then the email starts to fill up and then you're stressed because you have too much work and then you didn't take that two weeks off and so now oh, you're yeah. you're coming into the new work still stressed and so I think a, a big part of of growth as I kind of move through my career is just learning to chill learning to mm. accept downtime as it comes and then you know yeah and then I also think that I'm, I'm secretly the happiest I ever am when I'm stressed with work so I, think <laughs> I know it's yeah. so bad, bad. <laughs> guys are all addicted to it <laughs> stop it Kaya <laughs> you're addicted to the chase uh, Elias how about you how, how's uh, uh, how are you dealing with everything and I would say um one of the things that uh that I think are important is it's maximizing um, the moments where you rest. You know, it, it might sound silly, but you know, let's imagine you have a hard deadline and you know you're going to sleep five hours. You know, the next couple of days only five hours because you got to crank it. That then you got to make those five hours count. You know, what I mean, like you got to get your eye covers. You got to you know get the blackouts. You know, blast, <laughs> blast the AC. Hurts. Yeah, yeah. You 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 have to make those five hours feel like you're at the spa. So so they count. <laughs> you know, so they really count. Or a long shower or whatnot. Like I mean. We get, you know, I, I understand Sean as well, because, you know, sometimes you're like in between projects, you know, like, oh, my God, this is, is this going to stretch more than this many weeks or that many weeks. So uh, I, I feel like what helps me is, you know, doing doing that kind of ritual thing. Where it's like, oh, I only have this much, you know, this much rest I can take or the one day off it, then I'm going to make it count. And that was tough during the pandemic because, uh, you know, yeah. we all work um, from home or home studios or, or whatnot. And and then for me, a big part of my rest was getting out of my house. And then it was like, they would, the Sunday would come in. It's like, oh, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you know? Yeah, when so, you can't leave the office and, and it's yeah. always there and you're just like, I oh, might as well work. And then you forget, like, oh crap, it's like eight, eight o'clock, nine o'clock. And then, you know, you're still working and you're not taking time for dinner. And yeah, I can, you, you don't realize you're burning yourself out sometimes for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, to to wrap, you know, we we thank you for sharing all these amazing stories. But to kind of close things up for 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 our panel, I want to go around, uh, and I'm curious. You know, we've been talking about stories. We've been talking about you know things that drive stories and what drives audiences and keeps people engaged. You know, I'm curious. 
I want to go around and just find out what everyone, when we go back to your childhood, what's a movie that you really fell in love with? What was a movie that, a story that connected with you that really, whether it was an inspiring score, the story was inspiring, the music was inspiring, what kind of something that you just held on to from childhood? And for me, I'll, I'll go, I, I loved E.T. I think E.T. was one of the most beautiful stories to grow up and watch and then still revisit as a kid and still makes me cry every time, especially when John does it at the bowl live and this is the last 20 minutes. And then also to, to top everything off, if there's anything coming up that you guys are allowed to share, you know, share your favorite story, but also share what's what we can look forward to from you guys. If you can share anything, I know we have to respect NDAs and everything, but if there's anything you can talk about. So let's go around the room. Tangeline, is there anything that you kind of look back at fondly, something that really inspired you? I love all, you know, John Williams scores too. Yeah. Uh, an interesting one that I loved was the the film A Beautiful Mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. A Beautiful Mind, James, uh, Horner. James Horner. That was like one of my favorite scores um, when I was younger. It's I just gorgeous. felt like yeah. it cured so well with like the cinematography too and the, the shots, it was just all so beautiful. Yeah, so that was that was a great one. I still love it too. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll listen to it. I think it's one of Ron Howard's best movies too. I love it. It's so good. It's good. <laughs> um, it's good. Greg, how about yourself? I'm also gonna give some love to James Horner. Um, for me, some of the earliest films I remember seeing are uh, were Land Before Time and Oh yeah, uh, An American Tale. And both of these movies, you know, they're animated kids movies, but both dealing with such like heavy subjects and um that's don bluth for um, you you know <laughs> right yeah and uh and you know horner's score was was for both of those movies was completely um like reverent to the to the depth of those subjects and so even though as a kid i wasn't probably really registering the the deeper metaphors i was feeling those those emotions because he was he was putting it all there and yeah. uh yeah so i think those movies had a huge influence on me yeah. um and uh, sorry, what was the second question? If you have any projects coming up that we can oh, look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. So I mentioned the one, the game uh, Potionomics. It's coming out. It's uh, for PC and hopefully other consoles. It's, it's uh, going to be out on Steam at the end of the year. Um, maybe closer to Halloween. I don't know yet. We're not quite sure. And then also I'm going to be starting a new Disney series called Pupstruction, which will be coming to, uh, uh, I think you can get the, the image there. Pupstruction, <laughs> yeah. Pup uh, Disney Plus, Disney Junior, things like that. So, awesome. Tuned. I'll be working on that with Rob Cantor, by the way. Who's um, oh, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, songwriting on that. Absolutely. So, uh, Sean, how about you? And then, what's something that you kind of hold on to childhood, and anything coming? Yeah, up? I mean, it's, it's keep the James Horner train going. <laughs> um, so, I was actually gonna bring up, you know, Land Before Time as well. And I, I think that I I have all these wow. memories. I have the I had the VHS, and I always I watched it so many times, and Every time I remember being so fundamentally uncomfortable and unhappy about it, but then I kept coming back to it, you know, and I think such a big part of that was James Horner and that like that fundamental desire to not only tell stories, but to be exposed to stories and, and, you know, Land Before Time is such a, you know, it's a kid's movie, but it maybe shouldn't be a kid's movie. It's a, yeah. Um, it's, it is um, one of the, yeah, I'm glad you guys brought that up because it's just like, it is, uh, I remember that very fondly and and i do love that film so much and it was a big part of my childhood and i think uh, don bluth as a filmmaker i think people should definitely go back if you don't watch don bluth movies go back and watch his films and i remember he always said like I, we never treat children as children we treat them as human beings we treat their emotions as real they they know 
how to process the pain and the sadness. And you kind of have to respect that and not sugarcoat it and dance around it. So, and I think those films would which are just not made, you know, that much anymore. I know Pixar every now and then will hit something really kind of beautiful and, and, and sentimental like that, but it's just that, that way of going yeah, American tale too. Yeah. Great choices. <laughs> All right, Elias, are you going to keep us with James uh, Horner? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, of course, you know, I, I, when I was growing, well, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I'm a huge fan of Braveheart, yeah. you know, I think, you know, Braveheart's oh, okay. fantastic yeah. movie, but, you know, more when I was a kid, I think, uh, you know, I grew up in South America, so we, we would get all sorts of re-airings of Tom and Jerry, and I think for there me, you it was just like, you know, all the, especially all the, the you know, big concert themes, one where Tom is playing the piano and, you know, Jerry's like jumping around and doing all, and the music is so incredibly tight. And I think I remember watching and be like, well, but this music, like, you know, th that, that I thought it was so interesting that it was so prominent. Uh, but I would say, I don't know, my teenage years, probably Alien. When I watched Alien, I was like 12 mm. or so. That was like, oh, oh yeah. this is, this is the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, that those I grew up on the, you know, I never watched uh, the, the cart Saturday morning cartoons I watched were Silly Symphony and Looney Tunes. So those are all mostly no dialogue, just music. And it's just like, oof. I mean, that's just masterclass and scoring. And I mean, the term Mickey Mousing, you know, comes from that, you know, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, uh, thank you everybody for for sharing all these amazing uh, stories and all this insight. That's all the time we have for 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 today. Uh, thank you, Tangeline, Greg, Sean, uh, Elias, for for being here with us. Thank to you, Kaya. Yeah, thank you. And uh, thank yes, you, thank Kaya. you. And then thank you to Impact Twenty Four for putting this panel together and helping and 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 uh, collaborating with us. And thank you all for watching. We have uh, more panels uh, in the series at filmmusicmedia.com and on our YouTube page. So uh, go check them out.